Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it so much and all your feedback as well during the week. It's really fun to see. And I'm glad you're taking advantage of the things that we are putting out there on the website for you and listening to the show and telling your friends about it. So we are going to talk today about let's fire your internal critic. And if you saw anything on Instagram yesterday, I think I put a little uh, Instagram about this whole idea about feelings are very real, but not always true because that has a lot to do with that internal world that we have and how we are responding to our feelings. So when you, now I'm sure you've heard me say this a lot. This was a really amazing insight that God gave me years and years ago, that feelings are very real, but not always true. And so I really work hard in my life at accepting my feelings, but I don't always believe them. And you know, I know that they're not always true. And so one of the greatest verses that God has given us is, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we've talked about that before on this show, that, you know, feelings can be very, very um, inspiring. They can be very comfortable. They can be very um, invigorating. But what you'll find is if the feeling is really true, it will always last. And it will always give you a sense of peace, even if it's a negative truth that you have to hear. So I know you've heard me say this, but I do want to state it again. Feelings can be quite bothersome. You know, I thought if I'm struggling with my feelings today, you know, maybe others are feeling the same way. So one of the reasons I wanted to do this show was I wanted to give it kind of a refresh Sometimes, you know, I've thought how nice it would be to not even have feelings, right? However, you know, we don't want to be robots. Well, I don't know, maybe for an hour or more just to get a break from our feelings, right? So this is one of the double binds that we love our feelings, we hate our feelings. And I'm sure that many of you have read some of the newsletters about being drunk on your own emotions. And it's a real thing. How many times have you made an emotional decision and really came to regret it. 
See, this is to remind you that feelings can lie. And not purposefully, not purposefully. They're not, it's not malevolent. It's really a part of the defense mechanism in your body. It's a survival technique. And so what it does is it helps us to, to be able to settle down and to think what we need to think so that we can reset ourselves. It doesn't mean that we just throw it out. And it doesn't mean that if it's an uncomfortable feeling, we stuff it or pretend like it's not there. It means that we have time to say to ourselves, is this feeling just real and very intoxicating? Or is this feeling actually true? So I want you to just really remind yourself that any time that you are struggling with a feeling and you're not sure whether it's true or false or what you should do with it or how to handle it, I want you to really just put a pause on it. Check things out. Run it by someone, a trusted friend. Even be a good friend to yourself. So I want you to truly make friends with your feelings. They offer you a life beyond your wildest dreams. They bring so much meaning and so much purpose to our lives. So just know that they are tools in your inner toolbox. And aren't we thankful that God has very deep feelings? Because he really practices patience with us, doesn't he? So we all have this inner critic, right? But what really is a critic? What is its job? How much does your internal critic cost you? And when I say, how much does it cost you? What we're talking about is in terms of how much does that internal critic cause you to think you should change? Maybe you need to change your hair need to lose weight, you need to gain weight, you need to get more muscle, you need to get a better job so you have more money. You know, whatever it is, what is that internal critic costing you? In terms of just exhaustion, you know, of, of thinking, having all kinds of negative feelings. Maybe it's costing you time because you can't stop thinking about the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, if only then. And so you keep going back and rehearsing and rehashing things. Maybe that internal critic is constantly telling you all the things that you're doing wrong. And it just reminds you. And it tells you then, hey, if you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen in the future. And so, you know, was your critic inherited maybe or passed along from your family? Do you have family members that have taught you how to really walk around criticizing yourself? you know, completely overanalyzing yourself, shutting yourself down, telling yourself all the things that you did wrong that day, never focusing on the positives, but always focusing on the negatives. See, when we inherit, you know, from our family, a critic, a lot of times what I like to call it is a squatter. So you know what a squatter is. They're the ones that came, and if someone had bought land and were building a house on it, they came and took over a part of the land, and they just squatted on it. They just took it as their right to be there, and it was practically impossible to get them off their land. So this is also what a really bad critic is like. It just comes in, sits in your brain, sits in your heart, 
sits in your gut and just tells you everything that you're doing wrong all the time and compares and contrasts you with other people, brings up your past, telling you that you're not going to have a future because of it, all kinds of things. See, your internal critic might have started out as your friend, like you thought maybe it was like, hey, this is an internal knowing that I have. Maybe this is insight. Maybe it is. But what I'll tell you is the truth will always set you free. So if you feel buried, if you feel oppressed, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like there's no reason to live, that's how you know that's not a healthy internal critic. That's not even a healthy conscience. And so it may seem to have good intentions. But let's talk about the difference between a critic and a coach. See, a critic is an outsider with ambitions of their own. Actually, they only have a job if you keep producing and if you keep letting them talk to you. So we all have an internal voice. And I want you to remember when we've talked about those triunes, this is the me, myself, and I. How do I talk to me about myself? See, we all have an internal dialogue. Maybe part of that triune is a critic. And so I want you to think about this idea of me, myself, and I. How do I talk to me about myself? And have I let a critic sneak in? So is part of that process criticizing me? So think about the other triune we talked about, and this is the parent-adult-child triune. So typically, the internal critic is like the parent part of me. Or maybe it actually is me, but I inherited it from my family or my community, society, maybe religion, maybe trauma, maybe past failures or shame, and certainly fear. And if you remember... We've talked about fear before, and it's a great acronym. If we spell fear as F-E-A-R, it really says false evidence appearing real. Fear, false evidence appearing real. Because the fear that is true is obvious. It's not the kind that sneaks up on you. It's not the kind that just kind of like a termite right, burrows into you until you get so insecure you're not sure what you think and what you can believe. So this is where the internal critic may criticize what you're doing, comparing and contrasting it to your past or to other people's successes, or the internal critic is shaming you about what you're not doing. So we all have what we call an observing self, This part of us needs to be more of a coach, a confidant, friend, or a cheerleader. See, the observing self is a part of me that is supposed to have my back, that will certainly tell me the truth and tell me the truth in love, is forgiving, is very patient, kind, and orderly. See, the critic... The unhealthy critic is very chaotic. But a healthy, 
healthy part of me that observes me and gives me feedback is always orderly. So this needed for living and you need to understand how to use the tool. So remember, the only way to manage feelings really effectively, especially if they're negative, is to breathe. See, feelings are laced with adrenaline. And the only way to absorb adrenaline is with oxygen. And so this is why it's imperative that when you're having that spiral, that internal spiral, and you're thinking, I suck, I'm the worst, I'm a terrible person, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, right? We breathe. And we breathe until we settle down. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this internal critic. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you always for recommending this show to your friends. And make sure that you check out the website. We have lots of helpful things there for you. And we also have study guides that if you'd like to do it as a group, you can listen to the show and talk through it with the study guide. So we are talking today about how can we fire your internal critic? And we talked in the last segment about what what that critic really is. And so we know we have one, and we know what a critic is and what its job is. So the idea here is how much does your internal critic cost you in time, in energy, hope, peace? How much does it steal your peace? How much does it steal your hope? And so I gave you the example of if if we were raised with it, which most of us are, and most of our entire nation are their own critics, then what we find is that we've actually got a squatter in our mind, in our heart, in our gut that wasn't asked to be there, but has just taken over. And so the difference between a critic and a coach, you see, is a critic is an outsider with ambitions of their own. They only have a job if you keep producing, if you keep talking, if you keep thinking. So we all have that internal voice, and that's what we left off in that, last se- that first segment as the me, myself, and I. How do I talk to me about myself? Am I mimicking the critic, or am I copying Christ? And so that leaves us with that next triune, which is the parent, adult, and child. And see, the internal critic is usually the parent part of me. And it's usually inherited from my family or community or society or religion or whatever it was. And that internal critic is shaming you about what you're not doing. And so we talked at the very end of that la- at the first segment about that observing self. And I want you to get a handle on that critic and talk more to the observing self. The observing self, okay, has forgiveness, is more like a coach, is more like a confidant, is someone that has my back. And so remember, the only way to manage feelings is we need to breathe. So more than anything, I want you to realize that a critic is still 
giving an opinion. And it may even be an educated opinion, but it is still only an opinion. So the facts are up to you. And this is where we say to ourselves, is this a feeling or is this a fact? See, sometimes we can't even hear praise. Maybe we struggle with perfectionism, being found out, being rejected, or discarded, or misunderstood. So let's talk for a little bit about the role of a critic. And I like this writer. Her name is Marianne Combs. And she writes in her blog, she writes for the Washington Post, and very eloquent about what she believes to be the responsibility of an art critic. So let's, let's really look at this. See, you and I are, are a piece of art. We are a created thing. The, the creator of the universe created me and you. That means the creator of the universe had a thought and thought about, hey, I think I'd like to make a Cynthia. What do I want to put in her? What kind of ingredients do I want her to have? So the role of a critic is to cover a field. That Now, this doesn't mean simply pandering to popular taste. It really means doing one's best to convey a sense of what's going on in any given discipline. And they write about it from every possible side. So it means that they're trying to convey a perspective for a reader who doesn't necessarily spend every night going to all these events, right, or following you in your life, to be able to have offer some thoughtful, like, information that might stimulate the reader who does go to everything and they see something in a different light. So an, a true critic is looking at things from all sides. A true critic also loves what they're critiquing because they either want it to be better or they want it also to be appreciated. And so this doesn't mean that they set forth judgments of taste, okay? It doesn't mean that they give their own necessarily opinion. It means that what they're doing is they're putting out a view and that, n that may represent the minority. And it may be interested in the thoughts of those who disagree with them. So isn't that important to be able to say, hey, I don't think you see me the way that I do or the way I would like to be seen. So I think I disagree with the way that you are describing me. And see, I don't have to fight about it. I don't have to get offended or angry. I can just say, hey, let's reason together. You know, you're kind of critiquing me. You're kind of telling me the things you don't like about me. And I want, I'm interested in them. But what it means is that I want to understand where you got that from. What caused you to have that judgment of me? What, what's behind it? So it doesn't mean I have to agree with it, and it doesn't mean I have to necessarily fight about it. See, if nothing is properly criticized, then what do we have? Medio mediocrity. We have mediocre triumphs. And so this is not about being arrogant when you're really, truly a real critic. See, the truth is, 
We can feel things inside of us. We feel it in our bones. We feel it in our heart. And, and we, we many times are innately, innately convinced that we're right. So this is what I want you to remind yourself. If it's true, it will always elevate you, even if it's a negative. See, even if God is calling me out on something and saying, hey, you know, that's not you, Cynthia. That's really not you. What are you doing? Even though it's a rebuke, I still feel better because I always know that people that love me, that are critiquing me, are doing it because they love me, not because they have another motive or a different agenda. So what we want to think about is what do other people want from critics? Okay, what do we want from our critic? So I've noticed that there, it varies and it depends on who the person is. Some people really want their critic to get really hard with them. Some people want their critic to get really soft with them and tell them all these wonderful things and then tell them the one bad thing. Some people don't even want the critic to talk, right? So this is where it's very important for us to say to ourselves, more than anything, we must realize that a critic is still just giving an opinion. It may be an educated opinion, but it's still an opinion. And the facts are up to you. So I don't want you to believe everything you feel. I don't want you to believe everything you think. And I don't want you to believe everything that people tell you. I want you to check it out. That's what our brain is for, right? So join me in the next segment as we talk more about let's fire your internal critic. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for your input um, online, and I appreciate what you are enjoying. That helps me to make sure that I'm kind of on the right page and that I'm giving you some of the information and the support that you need to really be the best version of you. So we are talking today about firing your internal critic. And the only reason that I say this is because most of us have a very negative internal critic. If you have a good critic, you might not need to listen to this show. If you have a really compassionate witness to your own life with you, then you may not need to listen to this. But the majority of us really struggle with the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, if only then, you know, majoring in the minors and not in the majors, comparing and contrasting ourselves with other people. And we start to rank and order this. And we start to say, well, at least I'm better than them at that. Well, they're better than me at this. I got to work harder. Oh, I hope nobody notices that I'm failing in this area. And so what I want you to think about is the need for realizing that a critic is simply giving an opinion. And truly, it may be an educated opinion, but it's still an opinion. And so I can have an educated view of myself, but it's pretty difficult to not have any feelings about it. So I have to be very careful about the facts. Do I believe the facts about myself? May not even be able to feel it emotionally, but the facts are still the facts. How about my opinions? 
Am I confident about my opinions? How do I feel when someone has a negative opinion of me? What happens if they praise me? And so what we think about is the support, the opinions, suggestions, and praise. What do we do with that? See, sometimes we can't even hear the praise. Maybe we struggle so much with perfectionism, you know, stage fright, being found out or rejected or discarded, that we can't even think about who we are or let people give us any feedback about ourselves. So I want you to ask yourself, who do you believe? Do you believe you? Do you believe the inner child part of you? Do you believe the internal critic? Do you believe God when he talks to you? So where are you getting your information to determine whether or not you are a person of value? So ask yourself, is it difficult to accept compliments? And this is why we want to say to ourselves, we can turn that internal critic into a compassionate witness. Now, this is really important for your internal world because everywhere you go, there you are, right? I used to say to people, you know, I wish I could just unzip myself and get out <laughs> because sometimes it's quite, you know, I don't know, chaotic inside of me. And this is why we want to say, hey, critiquing is a necessary way of growing and, and perfecting things and causing me to be the best version of myself. But if I get too caught up in the critiquing, then I'm going to lose hope. So we want to make sure that we're developing a compassionate witness and that compassionate witness to ourself so that when we hear the negativity around us, when we hear people speaking against us, when we make mistakes, when we don't follow through, when we start comparing ourselves to another person, and we're sure that they're better, smarter, prettier, richer, whatever it is, and we start to get that <clears throat> real sinking feeling inside of ourselves. So we have to be really careful that even if we have a critic, which can be extremely helpful to us, it needs to be compassionate. It needs to be kind. And it needs to really be uplifting and it needs to tell the truth, not just criticizing myself. So we're going to talk more about what a compassionate witness is. Because you've already developed a critic. <laughs> Everybody's got one, right? So I'm wanting you to learn to develop a compassionate witness that can also take on your internal critic so that you're not feeling so beat up by yourself. And see, a compassionate witness is one who is aware and wishes to act in relation to what he or she is witnessing. So the sole purpose of that is to transform an event, not exacerbate it, not to bring violence or violation, but a compassionate witness cares. That's the number one thing. The compassionate witness cares about what's going on. They save judgment for later. So if there's injury of any kind, physical, spiritual, intellectual, they want to help with the injury before 
they give a critique. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we talk more about developing a compassionate witness in your life. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. So thankful that you are joining me today and that you're listening to the show. And I so appreciate the feedback that you give. And I'm working really hard with my assistants. I have, some gr- I have a great team that helps me put these together every week. And it really helps us when we are knowing also what you would be interested in. So please feel free. You can always email me at CynthiaHyatt at gmail.com. And you can say, hey, could you speak on this? Could you do a show about this um, issue? And I would love to be able to do that for you. So don't, don't, you know, think that I'm not going to want to listen to it or want to do it for you. So make sure that you do reach out if you have a topic that you would like me to talk about. I would love to do that. I'll do the research for you and really put something together that may really help set free some of what's going on in your life and in your friends and family. So we are talking today about let's fire your internal critic. And again, initially, I would like you to fire your internal critic if it's critical. If your critic is highly critical and judgmental, shaming, unforgiving, then I do want you to fire that critic. But if we can create a healthy critic, then we become a person of excellence, right? That's the goal. So we talked a lot in the beginning about, you know, this idea of feelings are very real, but not always true. So when we are struggling with this internal critic and they are just bombasting us with, you know, you suck, you're terrible, you're not friendly, you lied, you need to lose weight, you're dumb, you don't have enough education, on and on and on, right? We almost really do believe it. And so this is why we remind ourselves that feelings are real. They are very, very real, but they're not always true. And see, God wanted us to have feelings. God has really big feelings, but he always knows what the truth is. And so this is where we want to really practice making sure that even if the feeling is real, it may not be true. And time always tells. And breathing always clears our brain and helps us to have a more adult mind instead of just an emotional reaction. And so you want to really offer a life to yourself that's beyond your wildest dreams. And it brings so much meaning and so much purpose. So I want you to know that these, this is particularly a great tool in your toolbox. So when we talk about firing that internal critic, we're talking about really taking a hold of that part of you and saying, hey, you work for me. I don't work for you. Because many times the internal critic that I have and have had or that you may have is kind of bossy and and might be quite mean and can even be shaming, right? Critical, you know, uh, abandoning. All kinds of stuff. So we want to make sure that we 
are, are asking and requiring that the internal critic is working for us, not against us. And so you want to remind yourself that that internal critic is giving an opinion. And even if it's an educated one, it's still an opinion. The facts are up to you. So do you believe the facts or the feelings or the opinions? So I want you to really be able to support opinions, suggestions, and praise. See, sometimes we can't even hear the good things about us. And the more that you buy into the internal critic, the more compelled you will be to practice perfectionism. And I'm telling you, that is a killer. It really is. Because it creates so much fear that you will become so, um, what we would call uh, stiff, that you won't even be able to be flexible out of the fear that you may have if you are really struggling with perfectionism. And perfectionism, I, I really had to work with that when I was growing up, especially in college and out, out of college. I really was struggling with perfectionism. And I had to realize that God told me one day, he said, Cynthia, you don't even know what perfect is. You've never seen it. You've never seen perfect. And when I realized that, I thought, you know, I'm actually striving for something. I just don't want to be. I want to be something other than what I am. And so, okay, so I can say to myself, you know, I'm not happy with who I am right now, but I can change that. And one of the best ways to change that is to accept myself for who I am at that moment, believe that I'm a valuable human because God says so, and be willing to work hard at being the best version of me and recognizing that it will take time and that I'm not perfect and never will be. Maybe when I get to heaven, I think maybe we get perfected, but not here, not here. So when we talk about the role of a critic, we, we really were talking about how important a critic is. And, and if it's a good critic, then they know a lot about what they're critiquing. See, how would you feel if someone that, um, I don't know, has never built a house started looking at your plans and told you how stupid they were. Well, they don't know anything about building a house, so you really can't trust them. So when we think about having this internal critic, we want to make sure that that internal critic, although it knows us very well, is actually on our side. So the internal critic is supposed to be that part of us that helps us to continue to strive to be better and better. Not because we're getting beat up, not because we suck or something. It's because, wow, that part of me is on my side saying, hey, you can do that better. Or it might be saying to me, that's a well done job. I don't think you could do any better. Why don't you just enjoy it and move on to the next thing? So we want to make sure that the internal critic is actually helping us move toward being the best version of ourselves, not beating us up. And so when we look at crit critics, you know, if they're a really good critic, they help us look at things in a different way. They give us maybe some history on it. They give us part of the um, uh, information about how it came to its fruition. And so that causes us to be more interested and more appreciative 
of what that critic is describing. That's what I want you to be doing. So more than anything, you realize that the critic is still just giving you an opinion. You're not God, right? So you have to say, do I believe the facts? Do I believe the feelings? Do I believe the opinions? And am I willing to take support and suggestions and even praise? So when we think about this and turning that internal critic into the compassionate witness, what I want you to think about, being a compassionate witness, again, is simply being someone who cares and does not judge negatively. It's not someone that puts themselves in a one-up position to you. It's, it's the judging that says that is truly the best you could do, and I'm proud of you for doing it. So that I'm not trying to be somebody that I'm not. Okay, I'm never going to be a Rembrandt, but I certainly can create art. And so I want to do the best version of that. So a compassionate witness is able to manage their own opinions and is capable of listening without trying to fix everything. And most importantly, is willing to care about the pain someone is in regardless of how they got there. That's a compassionate witness. A compassionate witness cares. And so when we think about changing this inner voice, see, think about receiving compliments. And maybe one of the areas that we all, you know, have room to stretch and grow is whether compliments are from someone we know or love or a complete stranger, do we struggle to accept kind words? So does the struggle even maybe go deeper? That manners or cultural norms, it shows that recipients that are unable to accept really positive things are struggling with that judgmentalism, struggling with that internal critic. And so why do some people find it so psychologically painful to take a compliment? Why is the ability to accept compliments so important? And what needs to, to happen to allow a person to truly take a compliment to heart and let it nourish them? Well, this has everything to do with truth, whether it's true or not. And this has a lot to do with the delivery. So am I, am I doing this in a competitive manner? Am I doing this because, you know, you're making me look bad? Am I trying to cause you to be a better person so that my life works better? And so we know that the person that's experiencing that feels it. Even if we try to, you know, make it more beautiful in the way we say it. This is why it's so important when we think about being a compassionate witness. How do we truly bring compassion to people if we're not compassionate with ourselves? How can we expect them to respond to compliments in a positive way? If we constantly refuse a compliment that's given to us. So what do you think interferes with the ability to accept compliments? Well, deep down, truly, we all want love and recognition. We all want to be understood. We want to feel important no matter what it is. And we want to care about loved ones in the same way. 
And for those of us who have survived abuse or neglect, especially during childhood, see, the experience of trauma raises some deep doubts about self-worth. And it often feels like this engulfing shame. Like if somebody really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me. And this is part of recognizing if some of my inability to accept compliments and to not be willing to fire the internal critic may be from abuse. And it could be sexual abuse, it could be physical abuse, it could be uh, relational abuse, could be abuse that happened at school scholastically. It could be um, from being in a group and the group was really mean to you or shunning you. There's all kinds of things that can create this, this inability to accept a compliment from someone. And so when someone is really having a hard time, we have to say, how can the inner critic begin to heal? That part of me that is so critical of me is really doing that out of safety. It really thinks that it doesn't want to let me down. It would rather you hear the worst than get your hopes up and find out it's not true. So let's really begin to understand what's going on inside of ourselves. Let's enjoy compliments and not devalue the gesture. If someone gives you a compliment, I just want you to say a very sincere thank you. If you don't believe it, don't tell them that. It takes all the joy out of the compliment they gave you. It's like rejecting a, pr a present. So what you want to say is, why am I having a hard time receiving that? Where does that come from? And what can I do about that? So I really encourage you to talk about this with friends, talk about this with God, talk about this with a therapist, because I really want you to have the best life ever. And I'm so glad that you joined me today. And I want to compliment you for listening to this show. So thank you so much. And I look forward to talking with you next week. Have a great week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be